0: Hey guys, Jim Cox, and I'm here today with an interview with Karen McMahon. She is a trained counselor and consultant for people who are going through divorce. She has uh, a uh, website uh, titled Journey uh, Journey Beyond Divorce. Known her for a number of years and uh, really appreciate her taking the time to chat. So, Karen, thanks for thanks for chatting with me.
1: Oh, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for the invitation.
0: Awesome. So, tell us a little bit about your background. Like, how did you get involved in kind of helping people through divorce? What led you to that journey?
1: Yeah, um, great question. Uh, in the early 2000s, uh, about seven, eight years into my marriage. Um, I hit a wall, I looked in the mirror one day and saw a rageaholic and things had already kind of gone sideways and I started therapy and marriage counseling and a number of years later it was clear that uh, it was fairly irreconcilable and we entered a three and a half year high conflict divorce uh, a lot of anger, uh, child protective services, the police were involved, the kids had therapists. It was pretty much a hot mess and my kids were in very um, the very early stages of grade school. So what, what that did for me uh, was, it was an invitation for me to t- take a look at myself. So when I was able to start doing that three and a half years later, I actually could see the gift in the divorce because I had, I think, healed and changed so much throughout the process that was so difficult.
0: That's awesome. So, I mean, life is a, uh, donates a lot of experiences to us that uh, kind of make what you, make what you're going to uh, get out of them. Um, A lot of people would have taken that and, you know, Obviously, not as been productive. You know, I've had my own experience in terms of a hard divorce as well and can sympathize. I mean, it's, you know, it's never a pleasant thing. But when you look back at your own experience, do you see a way where you could have avoided any of that? Or was it just something where you both? grew apart? Or like, what's the dynamics on why things change after seven or eight years being with somebody? Because, you know, it's kind of the same situation with me. I mean, what do you think?
1: Yeah, so my situation, there were a couple of key elements. Um, I am a child of divorce. So I was pretty certain that I would never divorce. Hmm. Um, (laughs) And, uh, and what happened was, Uh, We had very different values financially. So we were in extreme debt. And, um, and my ex was a a, he once said to me, you know, don't sweat it, we're just deficit spending like the rest of the country. Mm. And so it was very hard for me to lay my head on the pillow. And I was a full time working mom. So we had two incomes. Uh, It's just that whatever we made had been spent the month or the year before. So that added, of course, incredible stress to the marriage. Uh, My ex also um, had some mental health issues and there was a lot of anger. So the threat of divorce was constantly thrown at me when we would fight and argue. And, um, And so my daughter, it was my daughter, I, I have a son and a daughter, my daughter's the younger, it was her second birthday when we had a physical altercation. And uh, and that was just, that was my red flag that things had gone very awry. Uh, I was equally responsible for that physical altercation. I immediately went to therapy. And then I, I really think I spent two or three years choosing different marriage counselors and trying to mend. And that's what I tell my clients too, unless you're in physical danger, and I wasn't, we had one physical altercation, um, stay because that's where you're going to learn the most, heal the most and grow the most. So work on yourself, work on the marriage and whether it ends or men's, you're going to be in a better position. So don't run out the door so fast because you'll just meet the same person in a different body and rinse and repeat, unless you're very careful about it. So for me, the, the mental health issues and the financial, um, uh, disconnect, uh, were really key in, in just, uh, dissolving the marriage.
0: Mm. But <clears throat> do you think that that was in any way able, I mean, let's say you're trying to resolve these issues on your part, but your partner is not. Right. I mean, a lot of times that's where kind of the crux of the conflict is because one side's working on it and the other's not. I mean, do you think that's reconcilable then? I mean, because really well, you don't have buy-in by both parties.
1: Yeah. And my pastor once said, uh, and it just like hit me right between the eyes. Uh, it takes one to forgive. It takes two to reconcile. Mm. So if you're in a relationship and you're doing all the work to reconcile, it's not possible. You yeah. cannot reconcile with one person. It takes two to own their part to do their work, to roll up their sleeves, to take a look at how they're triggered, how they're reactive, their unforgiveness, their judgment, their wounds. Um, And when both people work on it, uh, you could end up with the most brilliant marriage, so much stronger than it started out. But if you're the one person and you're working and working and toiling and toiling, uh, it it can't reconcile, it takes two
0: the the advice that you gave uh, just a minute ago with staying in the relationship in order to grow yourself is intriguing because i wouldn't have i mean it made sense as you said it obviously but i wouldn't have thought of it myself so what are how does what does that look like to stay in a relationship that has those dynamics where you know, it's not going well. Like, what are you trying to develop in yourself? Are you trying to, like, how how does that work in terms of yeah. developing new skill sets or new, like, so you avoid the problem in the future?
1: So exactly. So what, what I believe and what I've seen over a dozen years of doing this work is that Uh, we emerge from a family of origin, we all have dysfunction in our family of origin and that's our experience of intimate love. So for instance, my experience of intimate love involved a dad who was a sweetheart, he was a passive aggressive and he was an alcoholic and a mom who was overwhelmed with three kids in diapers in her early twenties and she was a rageaholic. And so I didn't go out looking for an alcoholic or a rageaholic, and yet that's exactly what I found. Mm-hmm. Because we're blueprinted on a subconscious level, and I would say that maybe 95% of the clients that I've worked with over the years have been able to connect the dots for both themselves and their spouse. Um, and perhaps you lived with grandparents, so it wasn't your parent; it was your grandfather, or it was your sibling, but. Whatever, whatever coping mechanisms we create in our family of origin to to survive, to keep the peace, um, are mechanisms that we bring into our adult life that generally don't serve a healthy relationship because they were born out of something healthy. Mm -hmm. And so, when you're in a relationship that uh, that is broken, and you would like to mend it what most of us do is tell our spouse what they need to do Mm. and what we suggest is uh, a 12-step saying 12-step program saying is keep your side of the street clean get off of his or her side of the street let them figure that out and what that means is what do you bring to the table uh how is your communication uh are you controlling uh, how do you respond when you're triggered? You probably react. Are you an imploder or an exploder? Uh, what are the stories that you have about why your spouse does something or what's wrong with him or her? So there are so many different levels of looking at your how you're wired, your way of showing up, uh, your way of communicating under stress that you can work on and if you have children it's not only going to potentially mend or end your relationship but it's also going to enable you to be a healthier person in every relationship you have going forward even if your marriage ends
0: Mm -hmm. so it's basically creating a kind of a psychological personal psychological inventory of how you're systems underneath who you are are actually operating to understand those subsystems so that and then being able to communicate how those subsystems operate with other people not just your your spouse but going forward with other people and I would imagine also with your kids because what you're trying as a parent what you're trying to do is make sure that the problem ends with you, right? You don't want your kids carrying that same that same baggage. <laughs> that, so I have uh, a puppy who rarely
1: barks. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just give me one second. I'm gonna let her out.
0: Okay. And we're back. No, that's that's cool. Um, but yeah, so, you, but so t- to have your kids understand what you're going through, and it's, I mean, obviously it's tough for especially little ones. Um, well,
1: and and the, the, the goal is uh, to break the generational chains. And so whatever you see as the pattern in your family going back that isn't healthy, we have, in my opinion, both the responsibility and the opportunity to begin to make changes. And the way we do that is we be the change, we change ourselves, we heal and refine ourselves and we begin engaging with our children and even our parents, our ex, uh, in a way that honors how we wanna be in the world. And it involves forgiveness, it involves a lot of grace, it involves patience, it involves putting our ego aside a lot for a greater cause and, uh, the work that we do at journey beyond divorce is really inviting people into that space into uh, taking the pain and overwhelm and turmoil of divorce and using it uh, as a tra- t- using it as fuel to transform themselves and then their families hmm.
0: very good so one of the um One of the issues that we had uh, discussed before getting together is how COVID has really affected relationships. I mean, spending it, you know, Ramdas says uh, if you want to uh, be spiritual, go spend uh, a week with your family, right? (laughs) And uh, here we've had to spend uh, more than a year with. our loved ones, kids, um, obviously not going to school, mostly at work or doing school from home, working from home. And the toll that that's taken in terms of relationships, like what have you seen in terms of how COVID has morphed people's relationships or their ability to deal with each other?
1: Yeah, so the people who were struggling beforehand, uh, it's been a real pressure cooker. And and you're you're in lockdown. You're trying to work. So so even if the marriage is going well, you're trying to work. The kids are trying to go to school. Everyone's in a small space. You're not getting the the, the social connection you need. And so we've seen um, we've seen a lot of uh, we, we've seen a lot of marriages begin to melt down. And which is why that's one of our our. Um, directives is you know do you have to leave is this reconcilable uh, and so and so through the last year and a half we've just seen a lot of people who um, who are coming from broken places and uh, just reached a breaking point and uh, and so they're they're headed toward divorce and then you know we didn't even talk about talking about the courts, but you're headed toward divorce and the courts have been shut down for a year Mm. and a half. And so divorce, which is typically slow and painful and frustrating is um, like on steroids in that direction.
0: Well, it's like Dante's Inferno, right? Uh, I mean, you're just like the nine levels of hell.
1: (laughs) Very well put. Yeah, and that's really, and so what we end up with is people who are really highly reactive. and, And when you're highly reactive, it's actually a perfect state to start looking at those things and choosing to change them.
0: So if people are feeling that stress of being, um, you know, in lockdown with their partner, like what is, what are some solutions to kind of ease off the pressure cooker? Like, is it, is it getting out to walk? Is it you know? Are there are there kind of basic things that people can do to try to kind of ease off?
1: Yeah, and I think that you know, if we separate out, you've got your high conflict where you're dealing with personalities that are fairly inflexible. If we put those aside for a second, and you just mm. have two reasonably minded people who um, who have found that the relationships dissolved, you actually, a key thing is to keep the tensions down. And so one of tool that I will suggest that you use is to acknowledge and validate the other person. When 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 tension is heightened and you can you can hear the other person, you can see them not through judgment, but through their their wounds or frustrations or shortcomings. And you can say it, I hear you. I hear that you're saying X, Y, and Z. And it makes sense that you feel that way given your perspective. You begin to bring down defenses. So one thing is changing your communication, noticing your own judgment and the stories. And we all have them. I know exactly what he's doing and why he's doing it. And no, you don't. So, so part of it is is noticing and reducing your judgment, giving yourself an opportunity to acknowledge and validate. And then to your point. Um, exercise, fresh air, getting out, getting the kids out, even coming up with agreements within this time frame, coming up with agreements for how you're going to each create some space for each other is mm. really, really valuable. Hmm.
0: How does, how do, um, when you're dealing with like substance issues like alcohol, Um, Usually when a person has issues around alcohol, those are basically ways to try to deal with past traumas or past psychological issues. Um, So how do you, as a partner, deal with your partner's issues with a substance issue and yet not be an enabler? Like, how do you not, you know, kind of contribute to the problem?
1: It's without, a great point.
0: without throwing hand grenades into a situation yep. and making it worse, you know?
1: Right, and that's where boundaries come in because the truth is, if you are with someone who has an issue with with pharmaceutical drugs, with alcohol, with street drugs. Uh, there's nothing you're gonna say or do to change that person. They have to decide that they have a problem. And, and then if they do, um, what we know is people fall off the wagon many times. So if you're staying, if you've chosen to stay and you see that they're in recovery, you need to have really firm boundaries and, um, and you need to be in it for the long game because these things do take time. And so, Uh, what you can do, if that's the case, I guarantee you, you have plenty of attitudes and isms of your own Mm -hmm. that you have to deal with because those of us who marry into that, um, usually come from it. And a lot of times if your spouse is in that situation, you may, um, be a codependent, you may have people pleasing tendencies, you may have perfectionism tendencies. These are all very typical of the person that is attracted to and attracts an addict, an alcoholic or a person with personality disorders. And I put those all together because uh, there's something called uh, uh, pathological narcissism. So even an alcoholic or an addict, it may not, like officially be a narcissist, but they have a lot of the tendencies, the black and white thinking, the deflecting, the accusing, uh, the the not owning their part, the not even seeing their part. They have that 365 degree blind spot to what their part is. And if that's what you're dealing with, um, that may be an element of the addiction. It may be an element of a mental health issue, either way, get off of their side of the street, come back to yours because you've been enabling, you've been protecting, you've been doing various things that haven't served you. And so to your point, boundaries are key boundaries are key Uh, somebody doesn't make you feel somebody does something and you feel something so learning your own internal boundaries nobody makes me feel anything and that's a that's that's on a foundational level um when you do x i feel this way you have no control over my feelings everything from that boundary to Uh, It's unacceptable for you to speak to me that way. It's unacceptable for you to drive with the kids in the car when you're doing X, Y, and Z. And therefore I have a boundary. And learning how to articulate and set a boundary is key. And what's even harder and more important is learning how to honor and uphold your boundary, which again has nothing to do with how they behave and everything to do with how you behave.
0: So when you're when you're dealing with situations like this and you're you're getting that psychological um, inventory of yourself, you're on your side of the street and you're working on yourself and you're, you're setting up boundaries and yet things continue to go sideways as you phrased it. Um, At what point is it enough? At what point do you say, you know, it's just not going to work?
1: You know, I think it's probably the hardest decision any of us make. Mm -hmm. And certainly when there are children involved, uh, it took me the longest time to make that decision. And uh, one of the things that I learned was I had a really high pain threshold. Like Mm -hmm. I would stay long past when the average bear would stay. Mm -hmm. So I think for 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 those of you who are listening and in that position, uh, you know, one of the things you need to do is, is understand, figure out what would keep you. A lot of times we stay because of, we're afraid of what's on the other side of mm-hmm. being a single parent, being alone. Uh, we may be afraid of what people think, what our religious beliefs are, uh, we may be um, in denial. Uh, you know, I can change him or her, and so you're going to get to a pain threshold where wh- what's the saying? Um, when when uh, when the pain of staying is greater than the fear of leaving, you'll leave. And uh, and so I would say get some support get a therapist, talk to a divorce coach or a relationship coach, get some support, like a healthy sounding board so that you can get clear on what, what you're not clear on yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually, I'll, I'll throw a little exercise at you. If you've been on the fence and you're unsure and the burden of making that decision, close your eyes and imagine that you come home and your spouse has packed his or her bag and is sitting on the steps and telling you they've decided to leave, do you feel relief? And if you do, then at your heart of hearts, you know the answer, you just need to find your way there.
0: That's a good exercise. That's a good exercise. And yeah, I think that fear of like what the future is gonna be, um, you know, really kind of, it's easier to overcome when we're younger, but as we get older, I think that fear is even more imposing. I I would, it seems, uh, I think maybe I'm wrong.
1: There's a lot of stories out there. I have people in their thirties and forties saying they're never going to find love again. I've had clients (laughs) in their late (laughs) sixties who found love again. And so it's the stories that, we. the thing that scares us the most is the nightmare stories that we tell ourselves. Um, and the other big one is I'm going to screw up the kids and I have to stay for the kids. And that's probably the worst reason in the world to stay because scientific evidence and psychologists have done research studies and children fare much better in two healthy, um, or at least one healthy household outside of marriage than being under a roof with two, uh, people who are constantly in conflict and tension, like that's actually the worst thing for a child. And so, of course, you don't make the decision lightly, but to stay for the kids in an unhealthy situation also creates an experience of them that this is intimate love, yelling and screaming or whatever your situation is. And they're going to go and find that when they get older. And that's not what you want for them.
0: Yeah, we, I've, done a show, I've done shows before that have talked about adverse childhood events and, you know, the stress or some of the uh, trauma that kids experience as a result of these types of things affect their health later in life. I mean, these, this isn't just about, you know, them feeling good. It's about their actual, their health and their longevity. So, I mean, it really is a serious issue and well what your advice was, you know, golden, really. Um, So what you mentioned uh, when we started out with one of the issues that you struggled with um, in your relationship early on were the finances. And obviously, whenever we go through an economic trauma, a recession of some sorts, divorce rates skyrocket. Um, And So, could you talk a little bit about that and like what you've seen in terms of you're in new york i mean so yeah i mean if there's any place more focused on economic issues uh in terms of how people deal with reality i I couldn't imagine but
1: yeah so you know when financial hardship um hits Uh, even healthy relationships really struggle. It's just, I mean, it's just the foundation, certainly of our society here. And uh, the tension and the difficulty and the hardship uh, really come to the surface. And I think one of the things that's so interesting is uh, how little bit we actually, invest in getting to know our spouse before we get married. And so it's like you plan this big wedding and you you invest in this honeymoon and yet conversations about, you know, what is your financial paradigm and what did you grow up with and and how do you spend and what do you do when money's tight and what do you do when money's flowing and do we agree and what are we going to do when we disagree and what are our agreements around how much each of us can spend before um, we have to go to the other person and talk it through, and and then you just take the money away, and it's like everything's stressful, and there are no understandings, no agreements, no no foundation, and as in my situation, you know, I was very frugal, I was raised um, by a single mom, and he had a very different experience, and so it all blew up, and so in. New York, really across the country, people losing their jobs, people um, just struggling so deeply with finances, Uh, even if everything else is okay, if there's not connection, conversation, and agreement on that front, it's going to dissolve.
0: That's good. So I'm curious, um, I mean, not like you have unlimited amounts of time, but with that in, in, in mind, it seems like there should be newlywed counseling for that regard, you know, in terms of avoiding a lot of these issues before you even get to the point of, you know, being together or getting to divorce.
1: You know, it's something me and my business partner have been talking about a lot in the last year because we feel like we're, we're meeting people when it's broken. And how cool to take all the same lessons. Yeah. And we have a 12 step, we have a 12 step recovery <laughs> program. That's just all about the emotional parts of it. And to give that to young couples, to, to invite them to invest just a small amount that they would invest in their wedding and honeymoon yeah. in doing a program to really get to know each other and to, to unearth here in the early stages your difference in child rearing, religious beliefs, finances, Um, your way of communicating if you were raised in a family where everyone yelled and screamed at each other um, that's going to impact your marriage like as soon as the chemistry comes down and like you know the the honeymoon is over there's going to be uh, dis-ease and so much of that could be avoided by either finding out it's not the right person or working through those things so and the key word here is agreements so that you're entering this partnership with key agreements.
0: Mm, that's awesome. Well I uh, definitely hope that uh, you're successful in that because I think that would be you know a game changer going forward for a lot of people. Um, have you thought about writing a book on that? I mean I think that would be a bestseller I mean for everybody.
1: You know, I think that uh, I, I'm Catholic, they had pre-cana, pre-cana and you go through like four hours and it's like, what do you do in four hours? You barely scratch the surface. And so yeah. there are things out there, but I think that I'm certain that a robust program, interactive robust program would um, would impact the yeah. divorce rate in the long run.
0: Yeah, four hours, that's like The Bachelor, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. That's like- <laughs> What,
0: um So what role do you think spirituality plays in terms of having a successful long-term relationship?
1: Yeah.
0: Just to throw something from left field out at you.
1: You know, for all of the years that I've worked, I think um, I've noticed that the, the people who have no belief in any, any higher power Uh, find themselves with a fairly shallow toolbox going through trial and tribulation. And so um, when there's a belief that I'm a spiritual being, it it does invite us to uh, levitate above our ego and our worldly issues and and get to ask the question, who do I wanna be? Mm, Who do I wanna be in the world? Who do I wanna be in in this relationship? Who do I wanna be as a parent? And and we can really, our ego, our ego mind loves getting us caught up in story and friction and offense, offense Mm -hmm. is a huge one. And when you have a spiritual foundation, whatever it is, it does invite you to to levitate up above that and to take that kind of 30,000 feet in the the sky view of what's going on here and how does this honor the person I wanna be in the world. And a lot of times that's the driving force that changes people that we work with.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. I think that's a great way to, uh, end it. Um, Karen, if, uh, people want to learn more about the work that you do and contact you, how can they reach out to you?
1: Yeah. Journey beyond divorce. It's our website. It's our podcast. It's, uh, our name on social uh, media platforms and on our website is, um, a button for a free rapid relief call. So if if this conversation has really spoken to you, um, you can get a free one hour coaching session from me or one of my journey beyond divorce coaches and really begin to figure out how to move forward. So we welcome you to do that.
0: Awesome. I appreciate you taking the time. And uh, again, I think this is just the first of many conversations that we'll have together.
1: Excellent. This is great. Thank you so much for the invitation.
0: Awesome. I'll talk to you soon.
1: You got it.